three years. The reason for that is they've been overseas serving with what once was referred to as World Harvest. Now we know as Surge Ministry there in London. Chris and Josephine have been there for how long? 13 years. Yeah, 13 years. And so they're back in the States here for just a a stretch of months, and uh, given that their orbit was sinking with our orbit, they were in the area, we thought, oh my goodness, we cannot let this opportunity go by without uh, having him here, having them here. So very glad, very, very glad for that. Um, anytime a man stands up in the pulpit, um, if he has any sanity whatsoever, he knows himself to be at least weak in spirit. Chris, Chris is a little weak in body uh, this morning. He's got a cold, so he has asked me to read the text. Uh, so I'm going to do that just to save his voice just a couple minutes worth. Uh, so the text is Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. If you're trying to find that in your Bible, it's after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Then you hit Romans, and then you hit a whole bunch of other letters, and they're really worth reading. But we're not reading those. Uh, Romans, Romans 12 is where we are this morning. The flow of Paul's argument is basically this. Verses, chapters 1 through 11 have been everything. It's just the heights, the great majestic heights that Paul is exploring there of what God has done for us by his grace in Christ. That's chapters 1 through 11. Here at the beginning of chapter 12, he makes a shift. He pivots. Here's... What a life that's grappling with that, that has embraced those realities, ought to look like. So we begin uh, with verse 9 of Romans 12, reading on through the end of the chapter. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Good morning. It's good to be back with you. Uh, like what you said, I think it's been uh, three years or so. We have um, moved to Chicago for a period of time. Um, a home mission assignment, HMA, after 13 years, the first time we've set up an apartment um, here, and I'm doing some studies on missiology at Trinity Seminary during this time. We're here for, uh, my wife, Josephine, is here, and my son, uh, Caleb, for his senior year. He's been uh, sort of boarding school with my sister in Chicago the last three years. And then we have a daughter who's a senior at Calvin College in Grand Rapids. 
I also have two nephews, uh, Matthias uh, from St. Louis and Eli, who's a Navy kid from Chicago. So you Army guys, don't hold that against him. Um, but he, uh, he grew up traveling the world with his dad, parents in the Navy. Um, I have a little video to start with. This show, it was a recruiting video that Serge made, and it features our work in London. But I thought I'd just give you a picture. I think it's three minutes long or so of, uh, of what we're doing. So we're, we're going to start with that. And I think, is that ready? Able? Okay, start with that. So it's a, if you are interested in, in uh, spending a few years outside the U.S. Uh, with Surge, this is a recruiting video, but it also gives you a flavor of what our work in London is about. So today, I'm working as a, a pastoral assistant at New City. We minister to the community of Shepherd's Bush in White City, um, which is uh, one of London's most diverse in ethnicity as well as economically. And without the Surge Apprenticeship, um, I wouldn't be the person that I am right now. God really gave me a heart to minister and to build a home for these homeless people. When I, when I say homeless people, I mean they can't find a church that they belong to. I had that heart, Chris that had that heart, I ended up saying yes to him and joining the church at New City in Shepherd's Bush. This was after talking to me about uh, the apprenticeship program. I thought, why not? There's nothing to lose. There's only much to learn this apprenticeship program. The purpose of it was for us to theoretically um, study all aspects of missions. There's constant mentoring going on, one-to-one -one mentoring, which I've never had before. I've never experienced one-to-one -one mentoring in, a, in, a, in such an um, intentional way. You do need a friend that tells you stuff that you don't want to hear. Uh, this mentorship really helped me to um, face the dark sins in my heart. And that really encouraged me and led me to a place of thankfulness. If you're considering being part of the apprenticeship, it will only benefit you. There's no downhill. Sometimes it may feel downhill. Sometimes it may feel like it's very difficult because you're, you're trying to understand other cultures. You're trying to understand other religions, um, other philosophies. And it's just uncomfortable to meet and try to relate with somebody that you're never used to. But that's what God has called us to do, to bring all nations, all tongues, to the Lordship of Christ.
That's Ung um, Lee is a British Korean, moved to London at three years old from Seoul, Korea. Uh, and he's like many other people who have come to London. You can also uh, talk to Micah, who spent a summer uh, with us about sort of hands-on experience of, of what we're, we're doing there in, uh, in London. Ung and another man are leading the church uh, in our absence. And so continue to, to pray for him and Marcus uh, as well. Today, I hope, as I share, that you will get a hold um, of the fact that God is on the move. His call to gospel obedience is more than just a few moral commands and be a nice person and do, you know, nice things, but to join a community that is radically different than the world around us. You know, and all of this, as we think about it, is done by the Spirit working in us that we've received because we've been united to Christ by faith. You know, honestly, I sometimes think we have such a small view of God and what he is doing in this world that we think being a disciple of Christ means that, you know, I read my Bible, you know, I have to have devotions, and you obviously need to come to church on Sunday, and maybe you don't drink as much as your neighbor and say, you know, those cuss words that you're not supposed to say. And that's basically what it means to be a Christian, which, you know, what it's about. It's like this club that we're in, and we know how to talk. We know how to work. But the reality is when Jesus gets hold of you, when he calls you to himself, he calls you to this glorious process of renewal that he's doing. When he called his first disciples, and he said, leave everything. I'm going to make you fishers of men. He's saying, I'm doing something so different here that all that other stuff in the past doesn't really matter as you experience the kingdom of God with me, as we experience what is God is doing here. And he so Jesus called those first disciples into mission, and he's continuing to call us, if you claim the name of Christ, into mission to bring his healing, his hope, his, the gospel to the world that we live in, wherever he's called you. So let's pray, and then we'll look at this passage uh, together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're a God on the move. Thank you that you're on the move even here, right now in Clarksville. You're in move in London and around the world. We ask that you would send your spirit as we look at your word, that you would open up our hearts to what you have for us, that the words I say would not just be my words, but that they would be words from you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I met an Englishman in a park uh, a number of years ago, and we were just getting ready to start. Uh, we, had, we had moved to London to join a work in a South Asian, Pakistani, and Indian community, and then we were moving to Church Plant, what eventually became New City. And I, I uh, sort of, you know, just chatting a little bit with this guy, and he's, so who are, you know, what are you? And I'm a pastor, and we're starting a new church. Like, what? Why would you start a new church? That's ridiculous. See, like, there's the Church of England, and there's the Catholic Church, and there's the Methodist Church. What are we doing? Why do we need more buildings, more churches? In his mind, church was a building. If you want to be a Christian, you want to go to church, just go over there. There's one. And you could probably say the same thing about Clarksville, as like you can say around London. There's Nashville, whatever. There's churches here and there. What are you, what are you doing here? But the reality is God is not care. I mean, it's nice to have a nice building, and you have a nice building here. That's good. But is that really, really what church is about? No. <laughs> it's about the movement of God's people together. 
there's nothing wrong with this. We need to sit. I don't want to be standing out in the rain today. That would be, you know, preaching out there like this. But the focal point of the Christian faith is not the building, but it's the coming together as God's people. And as we look at this passage, the ESV, and I know this is not authority, it says, calls it the marks of the true Christian there. And you don't see anything about, you know, true Christians are those that gather in nice buildings. And there are lots of nice buildings in London, that's for sure. But what you do see are very personal instructions about how we are to love one another. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdoing one another and showing honor. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. And I could read on, but you get the idea of what's going on here. The focal point of being a follower of Jesus is not exactly this, although we, yes, we need to call to worship together, but it's about people and loving people together. As you grow in grace, if you grow as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, you're going to grow in your relationships with other people. It's impossible to have gospel obedience all by yourself. How are you going to obey these kind of commands if you're locked up in your house, doing nothing, you know, reading your Bible maybe? But you you can't do that. Gospel obedience has to be done in connection with other people. And there's some questions about this. I mean, you think of a monk, you think of somebody really spiritual, and we were working in a South Asian community. We have like a sadhu who was very spiritual, and they would go off all by themselves and sit on a mountain or something, or you're in a monastery, and those are the really spiritual people kind of thing sometimes in our minds. But is is a holy man like that able to really show brotherly love like this? Are they able to love be genuine? Are they able to serve their brothers and sisters in this kind of way? No. Now, Jesus did go off by himself at times, and so I'm not saying you should never spend time alone with the Lord and your scriptures, and of course that is true. But as we live our lives together, we live them together as God's people on mission. That is what God is calling his people to. Our personalities are different, and so I want to be mindful of all that and the situations that we're in as well. But if we believe that we are made in the image of God, and our God is triune, He is in relationship, we too are called to be relational people, not because it's a good thing to be obedient, but it's making us more human as we reflect God's image in us. You remember Adam in the garden. He had work to do that gave him a purpose, and he had a relationship with his creator God there. But he was still lacking, wasn't he? God had designed Adam to be in relationship with other humans. It's not just enough to have a job to do. We guys, we like to have jobs, right? And it's not just enough to come and worship, meet with God, But Adam needed another human being, Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper for him. And usually, obviously, we think about that verse in the context of marriage, and rightly so. 
but I think it can be applied to other relationships as well. God has created us different, men and women, different ethnic backgrounds, and old and young, and God has, as human beings, we are called to be in relationship. It's not good to be alone. Just like Paul tells us here, we're called for sincere, loving relationships with honor each other, that we work together on behalf of the poor, that we rejoice together and we cry together because there's hard times that come. Gospel obedience is very personal because we get involved in each other's lives and that moves us back into the design that God has for us in the first place. See, sin has distorted our understanding of relationships and how we should interact with other people. And if we go back through this passage and you look at the negatives here and you find the descriptions of the way sin has worked itself through our lives. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. So don't be lazy in the way you pursue the love of God and the love of others. Verse 14, bless and do not curse them. You know, instead of using your mouth, your words to encourage people, what do we do? We cut people down, we gossip, we're using our tongues in all kind of bad ways. But sadly, that's the norm, right? It's the norm to be self-centered and be about me. You know, I'm going to look out for number one. That's what really matters. It's the norm to think that this relationship isn't serving me for my purpose, so I'm going to throw away this friendship or this marriage or this whatever, even family relationships. So we, in London, we have a homeless dinner. And obviously, a lot of the, it's mainly men, some women as well, but a lot of, you know, have the addiction issues that you can imagine. But so much of it is relational issues. And I talk to these guys, and they're like, yeah, you got any family? Oh, yeah, my mom, she lives two miles down the road. How, you go see her? I ain't seen her for years. Got a brother, he lives on, over here. I haven't seen him in 20 years. Things like this, this relational breakdown that breaks people down. But God is calling us to a new orientation of what does it mean to be in relationship with each other, our physical family, our spiritual family, and the people at large. As we move forward, thinking through what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, we want to be in relationship with others, but the Bible warns us that these relationships need to be worked out in practice. Listen here to James 2, 15 and 17. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and well-fed without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. James here is writing, telling you, think you're a spiritual person. You may think you love Jesus, but if you don't care for others in very practical kind of ways, then you better seriously question your relationship with God. There's no love of God if there's no practical love to those around you. The Apostle John tells us this again in 1 John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. But he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You say you love God and yet you can't even pick up a finger to help? you got problems. 
You can't help even just the things that need to be done around here. At our church in London, we would say, you're not elder material unless you can pick up a broom and sweep up after the meal, that we, the fellowship meal that we had together. That is, otherwise the Spirit is not working if you can't participate in the practical aspects of what does it mean to love each other in the community there. Spirituality that doesn't lead to this practical obedience and loving others is pointless. You can go around and say all a bunch of good words, but if it's not affecting the way I act, then I have troubles. Open your eyes and see the people around you and look for opportunities to serve them. And the Lord will bring them to you. Practical ways to serve people. Maybe your love has grown cold. The love for God has grown cold because you don't see those ways you can serve people. Look back at our passage here, Romans 12, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Helping out with the practical needs of people sometimes is easy compared to what God is calling us here, right? The writer Paul knows there's going to be conflict in your relationships. It's not going to be, he's not ignorant that you become a Christian and everything is hunky-dory and everybody love everywhere, even if you're, you know, serving. Paul says gospel obedience is going to be hard and there's going to be conflict. And that's going to be difficult along the way. A number of years ago, we had a neighbor in London that we didn't really connect with. And uh, we lived in a row house, and so you have common walls. And we got a little puppy, uh, Theo, Theodore, and our puppy barked a lot. Like, you know, this is happens. Puppy, puppies bark. And she would knock on our door, your dog is too loud. You know, keep your dog quiet. I'm like, oh, well, you have a dog as well, and your dog is barking like crazy all the time as well. And so it's just like, I can't believe this. Um, I'm the missionary, though, I got to do, you know. So. <laughs> but you know what? We, we heard on the, great, on the neighborhood grapevine that our neighbor uh, had cancer, got cancer. And my wife um, went over and knocked on her door and instead of complaining about her dog, said, can I, can I uh, cook you a meal when, uh, when you have chemotherapy? And you know what? Um, you know, a few meals for our enemy, quote, unquote, um, it broke down that, that difficult relationship in, in amazing ways. Practical love, that cooking a meal, not with Bible tracts and everything, just say, hey, here's some meal. I know your kids, single mom, you need some food. And now we have a f- dear friend who's still battling cancer. A lot of gospel conversations. She's not a follower of Jesus yet. But does it always work that way? No, it doesn't. Look here in verse 19. 
Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. There's going to be some hardships, and sometimes you're going to reach out in love, and it, your hand's going to get bitten. It's going to hurt. It's going to be bad. And you might have the hard, you know, difficult relationship the rest of your life. I'm not promising practical love means everything is fine. It says, leave it to the wrath of God. But your job is to feed your enemies, so to speak. Give them something to drink. Love those with a gracious heart that are around you, not expecting it back that they're going to be your best friend or anything like that, but praying that God would bring healing to the relationships in your family, in your workplace, in your community, wherever God may have you. Now, that is radically different from what the world is saying. And I'm sorry, but the God's people, this is what he is calling us to not do what feels good or do nice things to nice people, but do nice things to bad people, people who don't repay you. That is hard. It's really hard. How do you get the power to do the impossible? Look here at verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. How in the world? There's a lot of evil out there, right? There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of pain. I'm sure if we had some time to hear some stories, we could hear it. And sometimes it's not just overcoming. I just want to survive the conflicts and the pain and the things going on in my life or with my friends' lives, the sickness friend yesterday told me a guy in their church committed suicide. It's like, what in the world? This is, it's a bad world that we live in. There's some clues here in this passage, but it might be helpful. Richard already told it. He, he steals all my thunder here. <laughs> that you, we look at this passage in light of the whole, the whole book of Romans, the whole of uh, Scripture here. How does this, this fit in uh, with what is going on here? Romans 12, verse 1 reads, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There has been a shift, a change here, right, in, the, in the, uh, this entire letter. In this whole first 11 chapters of Romans, God, Paul is laying out God's plan of redemption, and he sums it up with this little phrase in verse 1, by the mercies of God. He's letting us know. He's changing gears. He spent this time letting us know the wonders of God's grace and his mercy in the world. And now he's going to say, hey, here's what God has done. And I'm going to change it now. Here's what you can do. Here's how you can respond. Can you believe it? God is so good. He's so kind. He's so merciful. And here's now you're going to respond. See, the power of evil, yes, we see it out there, but it has been broken. We may feel like evil is winning, even in our own hearts. We may feel like evil is winning in our families. We may see it on the news and say, oh, no. But Paul has spent these first 11 chapters saying, no way. God is on the move, and he has broken the power of evil, and we see that, most importantly, with Jesus' work on the cross. If you're not united to Christ by faith, then you have the power to resist evil, to overcome 
evil with good because you are empowered by the spirit that God gives you. Jesus' death on the cross took the punishment set aside that was on my head and placed it on Christ. That I am no longer a slave to sin, as Romans 6 says, but I've been freed from the bondage of sin in my own life. And yes, I still have this struggle, but now it's a struggle compared to what it used to be. The Spirit gives us power to love in very practical ways. People who don't return that love back, because I've been loved completely by my Creator God. And so now you can reach out to your family. You can reach out to your coworkers in kindness. And if they don't respond, that's okay, because your status is set. You're all right before God. Gospel obedience is messy. It really is. And you read these commands to love those around you, and you get it in your head, okay, I need to do this, and yet you fail. It's not, you know, you, you say, I need to do this. I need to speak words of kindness to my wife or to my children or whoever, and then these words of what? Harshness come out. What are you going to do with that? You're going to come back in repentance. You're going to come back to the cross. You're going to sort of say, Lord, help me. Give me faith to trust you that you will forgive me and that you will lead me to love those in the way that you have loved me. God is doing something great in this world, and he's going to use you right here in this church for good things. He's going to empower you by his spirit. But there's going to be struggles. There's going to be failures. You're going to mess up, and you're going to have conflict even right here in these sweet people that you have together here in this church. But I'm telling you that God is on the move, and he is going to bring reconciliation. He is going to bring healing to your life and to your church and to our world. As we love each other, in practical ways, empowered by the Spirit. May God get hold of you to live as he intended. Come in repentance. Come in faith to the Lord Jesus. Repent of your selfishness, of your hardness of heart when you see those who aren't following the Lord's ways. And come in faith for you to have opportunities to share the love of Christ that you've received with those around you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are good, and you are kind, and you are merciful. And we thank you, Lord, that you laid down your life on the cross so that we can have life and have it abundantly. And I pray for your people sitting here that they would know that love deep in their hearts and that it would flow, flow to their family members, to the marriages, the workplace, to the community, and around the world, wherever you would call them, for your glory. In Christ's name I pray, amen.